as a primary care pediatrician, I worked in a pediatric emergency room. So I have all these crazy things in my home medicine cabinet that you may not have access to, and it's kind of like cheating, but there are a few essentials that everybody has access to, and I thought it would be fun to compare medicine cabinets with another pediatrician. I invited Dr. Tanya Altman to join me today to see what she keeps in her home. One of my favorite things about being a doctor is that it truly is a community. There isn't competition between doctors. We love sharing our tips and tricks and our experiences with each other. It's a community of really nice people who want to do the best for their patients. I'm not even being sarcastic. One of the truths about medicine is that the minute you're accepted to medical school, you're part of this community of people who you want to see succeed. In this episode, you get to listen as Dr. Tanya Altman and I compare notes about our own home medical cabinets. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. I don't know how many parents think about what they should keep at home in case someone in their family gets sick, but we doctors think about it a lot. I want you to keep a few things on hand at home so you aren't running to the store at two o'clock in the morning when your child is sick. Even worse, you can't go to the store if you're sick. Dr. Tanya Altman is joining me today because she wants you to have the right stuff on hand when you need it. Dr. Altman literally wrote the book on pediatrics. She's the author of several best-selling parenting books, including Baby and Toddler Basics, What to Feed Your Baby, and she's editor-in-chief of the books Caring for Your Newborn and Young Child and your baby's first year. You might have one of these books at home. If not, I highly recommend them. More importantly, she's the mother of three kids and she started the Calabasas Pediatric Wellness Clinic. I had planned to talk with her about what we keep at home, but since summer travel is getting ready to kick off, we started our conversation by talking about how to pack your family's travel medical kit. You've told me that you help families prepare their travel kits. So you have a good idea of what people really essentially need with them. So what are some of those things and how does it change depending on where they're going? Yeah. So, you know, I never want my families to be caught unprepared when they're traveling. And since I'm in Los Angeles, a lot of my families travel all around the world. And so I go through and help them create a sort of personalized travel kit based on any medical issues their kids might have, you know, if they have asthma, if they have diabetes, if they have no issues, um, where they're traveling, are they going to be going on a boat? Are they taking a plane? And how old their kids are, you know, as well, because that, that also plays a role. I also don't want my families to have to get stuck spending one of those precious few days that we all have for vacation with our family going to an urgent care or an ER unless it's absolutely needed. So I do like to prepare them. So we'll make a whole list. We'll talk about over-the-counter medications that they might want to take, whether it's for motion sickness, pain or fever, any creams or lotions, and then any prescription medications that they might need, either if their child has a history of asthma or every time they get a cold and fly, they get an ear infection. Or sometimes I give Zofranodansidron, you know, in case anyone gets a stomach bug to help them not end up again in the urgent care of the ER and just really be able to enjoy their trip. You must have some things in your arsenal, in your kit, that prevent bacterial infections like ear infections and sinus infections after a child has a cold. So what are some of the things that you recommend for prevention? So you mean like nasal saline? That's exactly what I mean. 
I use a lot of nasal saline when kids have colds. That's one of the best things you can do to flush it all out. So of course, neti pot would be ideal. Most kids don't want to do that. So I'll tell parents, you know, I take um, the saline and I spray it on the kid's hands and I go, see, it doesn't hurt. We're just going to give your nose a bath and we spray it in one side and then we close the other side and have them blow and go back and forth a few times. There's also some new devices where you can attach a little mask to the nasal saline spray and put it over their nose and that helps steam up the bathroom. Even when you're traveling, most hotel bathrooms are really small. You can steam it up and stand in there to help as well. And then I love using like a low-dose nasal steroid spray also to help decrease all the swelling and inflammation, especially since post-COVID, we're seeing a lot more of that. So when kids have colds, it's sticking around more and they're getting that secondary ear infection or sinus infection. So by using nasal saline and like a Flonase, you can often help it drain on its own so they won't end up with an infection. Yeah, so I always have multiple saline rinse kits in my house just in case somebody like comes by and they don't want to use a dirty one. So I've got new ones and I've always got a nasal steroid at home. I also have a couple of other things for colds. Like I actually kind of like pseudoephedrine or pseudofed. So sometimes if I really can't open it up, I'll use that or Afrin. Do you have other things? Like I like Vicks. I like honey for cough. Yeah, you know, I think it depends on the age of the child, right? But I do think that especially for specific days or airplane flights or my son's AP test today, Afrin can be great. You just don't want to use it for more than, you know, two days in a row, usually maybe a third day. And also for like some of those teenagers, some of the -the over-the-counter cold and cough and flu medications can also help them feel better. We don't use it a lot in the younger kids um, because it's, you know, not approved enough. Um, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, and it can potentially have side effects. But I think in the older kids, it can be useful, you know, as long as it's short term. And, um, and they know that if they're not getting better, they're getting worse to definitely see their pediatrician to get checked out. Did your son really get a cold right before APs? Yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, oh. he always, this one since over the last year, my middle son just keeps getting cold after cold after cold. And I think it's because during COVID, we just weren't around anyone. He wasn't getting sick. I mean, it's nothing that serious. He still feels fine. He's still going to school. But he's like, Mom, I'm really congested. Something to help open me up for my test today. So then then it can be useful. So you've got your emergency backup medications at home. Yeah. And those are available over the counter, right? Like Afrin is over the counter. They are. They are. And also if kids have an allergic component, often we'll give a non-sedating antihistamine that can help. And some of the teenagers, they can take that non-sedating antihistamine like a Claritin, Allegra, Zyrtec with the D component too, which can help dry them up a little bit. You just don't usually want to take that at night or if you're on other medication like ADHD medication, that might also make you... I like to keep one of those around too because you never know when the pollen's going to flare. But then you said non-sedating. So there's a really big difference between Benadryl, which is sedating and short acting, and then the non-sedating one. So are you still recommending Benadryl or diphenhydramine to people? So occasionally I will use Benadryl, but it's generally not recommended anymore as some of the more recent data shows that cetirizine, which is Zyrtec, um, works just as quickly for allergies and allergic reactions. It's non-sedating, it lasts longer. But once in a while, there are cases where, you know, it can sometimes help someone get a little bit more sleep. Again, always talk to your pediatrician before using it. But I have once in a while taken it myself or given it to my kids when they're sick and they just can't fall asleep. (laughs) Okay, and if a person gets hives or they have what you think is an allergic reaction, is your go-to Benadryl or are you more of a long-acting non-sedating 
Usually I'm a cetirizine person, long-acting, non-sedating for hives or to carry allergic reactions. Once in a while, if it's really severe, we may need to double up. But in general, I think there are other options that I would prefer most families use instead of Benadryl. The other thing is when you give Benadryl to a toddler or preschooler, they feel dizzy, wobbly. I'm worried they're going to trip and fall and hurt themselves. So, you know, it's not always the best option. But again, talk to your pediatrician to decide what you should be keeping at home in your medicine cabinet and using for your own kids. Okay, so what about eye allergies? There's so many great over-the-counter options for eye allergies. So what is your go-to there? And do you keep anything at home for that? My family actually does not get a lot of allergies, believe it or not. My sister is an allergist, though, and she grew up with every allergy (laughs) under the sun. And so I learn a lot from her on on allergies. And so I used to recommend um, Zatator, but now I'm using a lot more of the Patidae, but the higher dose, because there's three over-the-counter doses, because... The allergy, it's its such bad allergy season here now in Southern California. And these kids are coming in just miserable with the eye allergies. And so often using that higher dose once a day, pat a day, you know, can really make a difference and help out. Yeah, I think a lot of parents, they kind of jump to the conclusion that if their child has red eyes, that it's probably like a bacterial conjunctivitis or pink eye. And not everyone realizes that you can get eye allergies or that you can get it just in one eye. So usually I think if a child's rubbing their eyes, then I worry about the eye allergy. And I know you can also still use a nasal steroid for that too. But those eye drops like Zatador and Patidae are awesome. You can, and the nasal steroid will help as well as the oral antihistamine. I mean, that can all help with the eyes as well. And sometimes if the kids are so miserable, you really need to throw all the allergy medication at them. And some saline. (laughs) Yes, and nasal saline too, to flush it all out, especially um, before nighttime. I always say, you know, try to keep that pollen out of your bedroom. So we're going to flush your nose, wash your face, wash your hair before you get in your bed. You don't want to take outdoor pollen into your bedroom and then sleep all night in like a face full of hair pollen in your hair. Speaking of itchy things, how about eczema or bug bites or whatever else itches on your skin? What do you keep at home for that stuff? I keep a few different steroid creams at home um, of different strengths. So some are over the counter and some are prescription. And I do find that even for young kids, you often do need a prescription steroid cream, you know, to use just for a few days at a time when you really need to, because the over the counter unless it's your face, unless it's a baby, it's just really often not strong enough. So I I use a lot of that for bug bites or eczema patches. There are some really great anti-itch over-the-counter creams now, like CeraVe makes an anti-itch cream that I find is very helpful for those kids that are always itchy with eczema. And by the way, I don't have any relationship with any of these brands or companies that I'm mentioning. I just want to disclose that. These are just common things that I use or recommend to my patients. That's an anti-itch cream. Also, just often a lot of any really good thick moisturizer or ointment can also help, especially for those kids prone to eczema. You just want to really lube them up regularly a few times a day, and that can also help. And a lot of parents too are sort of freaked out by that word steroid. You know, like, oh, I don't know if I want to use that. But I think that the itch and the broken skin is far worse than using a little bit of steroid cream. I agree. And often you just have to really tame down that inflammation right away. And the more they scratch, as you said, which is from all the itching, it's going to get a lot worse. And I think with everything, think about diaper ointment too, right? Parents often don't use enough and you can just sort of slather that on like you're frosting a cake even to prevent diaper rash or to treat diaper rash in those little ones. Right. So it almost doesn't matter which diaper cream you're using as long as you put it on thick like cake icing, right? Exactly. 
Okay, so speaking about babies, how about Cradle Cap? Do you have any favorite products there or tips? Yeah, so it sometimes depends if the babies have a full head of hair or not. There are a lot of great over-the-counter cradle cap shampoos that you can use. You can kind of scrub it on and try to slough it off, but sometimes I will use a little bit of an antifungal or an over-the-counter low-dose steroid cream, like you mentioned, the hydrocortisone, or even an adult dandruff shampoo, because cradle cap is really baby dandruff. And often a little bit of that adult dandruff shampoo you can put on, let it sit for a minute or two, wash it off, and that will help. And ointments work as well, like Aquaphor and Vaseline sometimes, but if you have a lot of hair, that's really greasy and hard to get out of the hair. Yeah, I was going to say, when we talk about cradle cap, it's not just babies we're talking about. I mean, teenagers and adults get that flaky scalp skin too. And it's the same treatments as the same process, right? There's so many techniques for getting that off. It is. And for the teens, the one thing that I tell them all is that dandruff shampoo works on contact. So you don't really want to use, not to wash your hair, it's to really put it on your scalp. So I always say, put a little bit on your hand with just a few drops of water before you get in the shower. Really rub it into that area on your scalp, let it sit for 10 or 15 minutes, then get into the shower and wash it off. And then if you don't like the way it smells, you can use your regular shampoo on top, but it's a scalp treatment more than a shampoo. Right, you need that medicated stuff to sit on the scalp for like five minutes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you remember having a Ralgan? Just going back to ear pain? Yes. It doesn't exist anymore, right? But I just saw there's a new product, Ear Pain MD. Yes, there's a new pain, a new that's a new product. They sent me some samples and ah. I gave it to a few patients for travel. They'll send you samples if you go FYI. online. Yeah. And it works great. But my patients have said it's life-saving when they travel. And that can also help decrease the need for an antibiotic, right? Because if you treat the pain and you wait a few days, we know that many ear infections will get better on their own. Oh my God, that's such a good point. Yeah, if we can control the pain and let the body heal itself. I love that. I'm really excited about that as a new product because I really missed having a topical anesthetic you could put in your ear. It touches the eardrum, it numbs it up, problem solved. You know, compared to taking like, you can take a pain medication for ear pain, but it takes a little while to start working, right? And you have to keep giving it. So that's not always the best. Okay, so there, let's talk about pain meds, right? Uh, There are, I don't know, I would say there are generally three classes of pain meds that we use over the counter, right? Like acetaminophen, ibuprofen, naproxen. And I do a lot of education on the fact that those are different. People don't know the difference between Tylenol and and Motrin, for example. So what's your go-to and what's your tips on uh, pain meds at home? So what do I choose? I mean, in the in the infants, we usually go with acetaminophen because ibuprofen is only approved six months and older. I do think um, sometimes for tummy aches, Tylenol makes me feel a little bit better because it's easier on the stomach. But I do like that ibuprofen lasts longer. I think if you have severe pain or high fever, it does tend to work a little better. Naproxen, I will use for the older kids if they can swallow the pill or the teenagers that works great for cramps, period pain. I love naproxen um, because it's not only the pain, but it decreases the prostaglandin levels. You can help prevent the serious cramps if you start a few days before the period. So it sort of depends, you know, what the family has at home. Usually when families call me, I say, what do you have at home? Let's see if we can use what you have at home because I don't want you to run to the store in the middle of the night. And that's why it's nice to prepare to have your medicine cabinet stocked. And usually there's something we can find in your house already that will work for your child's issue. I agree with you. I really prefer ibuprofen in terms of pain management, just because it lasts longer if you can get away with that and keep that in your house over the Tylenol. 
The other thing I really like are the ibuprofen chewables. Um, whenever you can get a chewable and your child likes it, I think it's easier to give them. It's easier to travel with too. And unfortunately, there aren't that many prescription medications that come as chewables anymore. So that's when you are stuck with liquids. But I think for travel, for kids that have allergies or known medical issues where you need to carry with you antihistamines, pain medication, or anything like that, chewables are a lot easier to throw in your bag or keep at home. Oh my gosh. So what about rectal acetaminophen? Do you ever use that? So feverol, yes, I do think that is a great option for those infants um, when they're sick and they just spit out the medicine or they won't take it. You do have to know the dosing though, and it's hard to find the higher dose. I usually tell parents to order it on Amazon and keep it at home because when you go to the drugstore, they only have the lower dose and then you're putting in one, two, or three, depending on your child's weight. Right, right. You have to dose out a little bullet and that you stick into their little bum. <laughs> yes, but I do. I keep it in my office too. And sometimes I'll give to parents or, nice. or use for the babies. Also, the glycerin suppositories, when we're, since we're talking about rectal suppositories, I use as well for um, constipation in the infants, sometimes the toddlers. Usually once they're aware of it, I prefer them to drink or eat something that will help them go. Um, but when they're infants, it's just really easy, you know, to just when you're changing their diaper, dip it in Vaseline and just stick it in their rectum. Yeah. Okay. So what other things do you generally have around for tummy aches or for constipation? Yeah. So my favorite thing for constipation are prunes. So I love prunes. I have all my families keep baby food prunes on hand. I'm actually big on making your own baby food, but making baby food prunes is a pain because you have to steam and peel them. So I buy organic baby food prune pouches, prunes. I travel with prunes too, by the way. I buy those little individual wrapped ones, throw them in the suitcase. If you get kids used to eating prunes when they're little, then when they get older and they have a tummy ache or they're backed up, they'll just say, mommy, I need some prunes. And it's so much easier and more natural, I feel, than a lot of the other medications, which are fine when you need them. But whenever I can get away with prunes or prune juice, that's always my first go-to. Yeah, me too. And then I think probably my next would be Miralax most of the time if they're not getting anywhere, besides changing the diet, adding water, things like that. But I really like Miralax as well, just because it's not absorbed into the intestines. Right. And milk of magnesium also is nice. If the kids won't drink all the Miralax, it's a smaller dose. You can buy the cherry flavored. And then there are some magnesium chews that I've started using recently. Dulcolax, which is typically a laxative brand, makes a kid's magnesium chew that I find works well. And it's just magnesium. So that's something else I've been using as well as some fiber gummies as well. And you know what? I do want to make this point. It's really, really important for kids to have a soft poop every day. Like yes. it's a big deal. We need to look at our children's poop and we need to keep it soft. And we have to have all these things in our cabinet ready to go. I love milk of magnesia. I also feel like magnesium works faster than some of the other stuff. It does. And speaking of magnesium, one thing we didn't talk about that I also love is Epsom salt. And so I have my patients soak in a bath with a cup of Epsom salt for so many different issues. Let's say you have an irritated or infected toenail. Let's say you have a bottom rash, which not only happens in babies and diapers, but sometimes older kids, right? They're learning to wipe. They can get irritated down there. Any private area discomfort when parents call me, I say soak once or twice a day for 20 minutes in plain warm water with a cup of Epsom salt. If it's not getting better in a day or two, let me know. But most of the time it does work. And it even works for adults too. I have so many moms in my office say, 
do you have a gynecologist I could get into really quickly? Because I have a little issue down there. And I'll tell them to soak with Epsom salt first. And they'll call me and they'll say, it resolved. <laughs> oh, I love that. I hadn't thought about that because I do always say like with little girls who are just starting to wipe and they've got some irritation, I always tell them to take a bath and put some baking soda in it. But I don't really know what that's doing. But Epsom salt is probably a better option. It's so old too. How long has that been around? <laughs> it's totally old school. And I use it for soaking feet and hands as well. If there's any, you know, cuts, scrapes, irritation. Topical antibiotics are such a difficult thing for me right now because so many people have reactions to either bacitracin or into, to neomycin that's in neosporin. And so you know, I've been looking for other options and there's not a lot over the counter. I'm really into hypochlorous acid right now because that's kind of a newer product. Really oh, natural, talk a little right? about that. Yeah. yeah. So a dermatologist friend of mine said that this has been used a lot in burn units and it wasn't until pretty recently that they were able to manufacture this very natural substance in a small enough amount that it could stay stable in order to use it in the home application, like to get it in a small bottle. So there's a couple of different brands. It's called hypochlorous acid though. And it has antifungal, antibacterial, and antiviral properties. So you can spray it on if you have a really mild athlete's foot or cuts and it doesn't burn like rubbing alcohol did, right? And it doesn't burn like yeah. betadine. So that's kind of the newest thing in my arsenal is hypochlorous acid. a favorite first aid thing that I would never leave home without. And it's Splinter Out. Do you know that product? No. Oh my Tell God. Me about Huge it. fan of these. So I was camp doctor up in the Sierras for a couple of summers. And that's where I learned about this product. It's a little silver piece of metal. It's tiny. It's like an inch long and it has a little diamond on the end. And it is magic to get a splinter out. And it's called Splinter Out. But you can just oh. lick it and it's not even painful. But compared to like digging around, using needles, all of that. These things are just amazing. And they come in little paper wrapping. So I'll just throw a couple of them in my bag if we're camping, if we're traveling. So, you know, somebody always gets a splinter. That's a great idea because we were in Yosemite a few years ago with a large family. And I can't tell you how many splinters I had to dig out using like the bevel on a needle and tweezers. And I'm going to check those out and pick some up. You are going to love them. Okay, how about Steri Strips? That's my other favorite travel bandage. Do you use those at all? So, you know, I use them more in my office. I don't think I've traveled with them, although I should. What I often do when I'm traveling is I'll just cut the sticky part off of a Band-Aid and just <laughs> use that to hold the two pieces of skin together. And I often travel with Dermabond, which is now over the counter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. That's my other favorite product. But it's hard for someone to use it that isn't trained on using a tissue adhesive like Dermabond to, to glue together a, a laceration. Liquid Band-Aids work just as well. So you can buy the, one of the liquid Band-Aid products. They're not quite as strong, but honestly, if you're traveling, camping, I do think that works as well too. You just have to remember to really clean out the wound, you know, before you glue it together. Because once you glue it, it's stuck there. Except liquid bandage doesn't dry as fast as Dermabond. And that's what I like about Dermabond because it's like nice and thick, dries in a minute. You're right, but you could end up sticking your fingers <laughs> together. The trick for that is to just glob Vaseline all over it. It totally dissolves glue. I love it. I was an ER doctor for 10 years before I was a uh, primary care. So I've got all those tips. Oh, I did not know that. Good to know. Yeah. So that, that's, that's my wheelhouse is removing foreign objects from within ears, nose, and the skin. <laughs> 
my two teenagers, though, are getting older and they're getting a little bit better. My oldest went Boy Scout camping in the wilderness, some extreme mountain, you know, camping. And I put a kit together with him with instructions. So that way, you know, if he needed it or any of his other Boy Scouts needed it. And luckily nobody used anything. But we didn't talk about bug spray. Yes, yes. Let's talk about that. My next trip is Costa Rica and I get eaten alive. So that is something that I really, you know, I'm going to make sure that I pack and take with myself. So one of the things that I take and I give my kids to prevent bug bites, and I know it's not proven, but I swear it works for myself and my family, is B1 vitamin. So when you take B1 vitamins, it puts a little scent on your skin that a lot of insects don't like. And if I go for a walk in the evening in California during the summer, I will usually get about a dozen mosquito bites. If I take B1, I will get none or one. Now, if I'm traveling to a place where I'm worried about the mosquitoes carrying more serious things, then I am going to use Picaridin or DEET. But B1 has always worked for me. And it's something that everyone tells me is not proven, but really helps. And that's another good point about the combination sunscreen bug repellent. I really don't like that unless that's all you have because sunscreen needs to be reapplied frequently during the day when you're out and about and bug repellent, you usually don't want to reapply, you know, unless it's like morning and then at night. You know, that's a good reminder. This is the time of year that you want to pick up your sunscreens because it's going to get sunny and hot soon and we're going to have no sunscreen at home because we've been indoors all winter, right? So it's time. It is. And if you have old sunscreen from a year ago, it may or may not still be good anymore anyway. So it is always good to restock up on sunscreen in the spring. One of my favorite things about Boy Scouts is that boys are required to pack their like 10 essential things, I think they call it, right? And they have to have their own first aid kit. And I love that your son did that. But also it gives you an opportunity as a mother to talk with your child, whether it's a boy or a girl, about how to start transitioning to taking care of their own health, right? Because we're not going to do it for them forever. So what's some of your advice like to adolescents as they're transitioning? I think it's really important to start teaching your kids as they get older how to take care of their own cuts and scrapes and, you know, really make decisions and know when they need to, you know, ask you for help or even take the next step, you know, and see a doctor. My middle son actually said to me last week when he had a cold and I was giving him some vitamins and over-the-counter medications, and he said to me, you know, mom, what do people do that don't have a doctor as a parent? I bet they don't have all of these supplies at their house. Do they have to go to the doctor every time they get sick? And I said, well, yes, Colin, they do. And he said, I'm definitely marrying a doctor. My daughter has told me the same thing. She doesn't want to be a doctor, but she wouldn't mind marrying one. And I think it's because I make her feel safe. We talked about a lot of things, so I want to summarize with the basics of what you need to keep on hand. First, you need a pain medication, and that depends on your child's age. I tend to prefer ibuprofen, which is sold as Advil or Motrin. Those are the brand names. For menstrual pain, we prefer Aleve, which is naproxen, because it blocks the chemicals that cause menstrual cramps. Okay, for colds, you should always have nasal saline on hand. And again, this depends on the age. So for young kids, you can get just a little spray. And for older kids, you want to use a neti pot or something like a nasal saline rinse kit. And then we also like nasal spray steroids, such as the brand named Flonase, which is also helpful for nasal allergies. And for itching or other allergies, you need an antihistamine in the house. So those would be like Allegra, Claritin, 
And probably our favorite for not any particular reason is Zyrtec. These are all long-acting antihistamines. And then Benadryl is a short-acting but makes you sleepy form of this medication. So if you need to sleep and you're itchy, it might be worth a try. So you can keep Benadryl on hand, but it wouldn't be our favorite. For stomach issues, we like to keep prunes on hand for all ages. And other options are milk of magnesia or magnesium chews. And then our last resort is Miralax. And we can talk about that in another episode. If a child is vomiting, it's really important to have an electrolyte drink on hand. I used to keep powdered Gatorade in my pantry, but apple juice or coconut water, that works just as well. Or any electrolyte powder packet is fine. We really don't have a favorite one there. Epsom salts are great for soaking any body part that's irritated or inflamed. For travel, I like to bring splinter out, which is way better than using a sewing needle and they're not expensive. And I just learned from this episode that Dermabond is available now without a prescription. It's a liquid bandage that you use by squeezing a cut together. So you need to hold the wound edges together and then you put the Dermabond liquid on top of the skin. It's not very easy to use, so be sure to read the directions on that one. But it's great to take if you're like far away from civilization and you may not have access to an emergency room. It's time to stock up on bug spray and sunscreen too. And you might want to give vitamin B1 a try to repel bugs. Please let us know if that works. And two last points. First, if you are traveling away from home, think about which prescription medications you need to take with you. So do you need to bring an EpiPen or albuterol or migraine treatments? Don't forget those. And the last thing is that when you're packing or if you're just going through your medicine cabinet, if your child is sick, that's another opportunity. Start teaching them how to take care of themselves. They're not gonna live under your roof forever. So now's the time. Thank you to Dr. Altman for talking with me. It was really fun. Now we're gonna stock up on sunscreen and Dr. Altman is gonna take her vitamin B1 and we're both gonna head off on vacations with our families. I hope this episode helped you feel prepared to take care of your family at home while you're traveling or getting your kids ready for their summer adventures. If you have friends traveling this summer or who clearly need help stocking their home medicine cabinet, be sure to share this episode and follow the show for more great tips from the pediatrician next door. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.